With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rock M Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is Before the Box Score. Go ahead and put on your Lady Gaga meat dress. Turn up Katy Perry's California Girls. And while you're at it, listen to Like a G6, because this is straight from 2010. That's right. It's Expansion Palooza all over again. The realignment of conference talk is back, baby. Back, baby. And maybe it never left, but we are certainly back in the full swing of things, thanks to Texas and Oklahoma. BK, how are you doing, man? I'm fantastic. Um, I am super curious to see where this goes. This was always the logical endpoint. It was always going to be most likely four conferences, 16 teams per conference. And it was always a question of, okay, who's going to end up where? And it's why anytime that anybody would say, man, I really miss the Big 12. The response is always, yeah, but you won't whenever this ends up the merry-go-round stops and Mizzou potentially is left without a spot or doesn't get the spot that you want them to get. So Mizzou leaving for the SEC was smart. It was forward thinking, even though it also came with some drawbacks. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know. I don't know where, what the end game is or, or when it's ever going to stop. But once realignment opened, you kind of got the feeling that major college football was slowly kind of like, like the continents just drifting into a North, South, East and West conference. Um, and it's, it's been very, very slow, obviously, but that leaves the States in the middle, the schools in the States in the middle, kind of without a, without a chair 
uh, to sit in. And so they got to pick a side. And again, I guess if you, if you haven't been listening to the news, maybe I should tell you what's going on. Um, in the heat of all of these conference media days, uh, the Houston Chronicle busted open a huge story uh, saying sources inside uh, the UT campus confirmed that both Texas and Oklahoma have been exploring and reaching out to the SEC as possibly becoming members of the SEC. Now, there's a lot of things that, that go into it. This is not just um, a Missouri or a Colorado looking to swap conferences. First and foremost, these, these are two schools doing it, and it seems like they're a package deal. One of them already has a TV network and is trying to get into a conference with a TV network. One of them, I think, is tied in the state's constitution to another school, Oklahoma State. And I think this is the thing that came up when Oklahoma was looking to join the Pac-10 back in 2010, 2011, was that Oklahoma, Oklahoma State had to be a package deal. Not only that, the SEC is at 14 teams. Adding two brings them to 16. They, the SEC has already been talking about redoing scheduling the divisions and everything that, like that. You have to do that now if you introduce 16 teams. And I, I, I just <laughs> I don't know... I don't know. There's so many logistical questions about this. This is not just a, oh, do we want these schools to be part of it? There's so many legal uh, and logistical hoops to jump through. But you're right. Like this, this is this is going to happen. The the Big Twelve was going to collapse at some point. That's why Mizzou left. That's why Nebraska and Colorado and Texas A&M left. And my God, if if Texas and Oklahoma are leaving, then you know that the big 12 was crumbling. And what we also learned from the last round of realignment is that schools don't ask to join a conference unless they know the answer is Yes. Yeah. And it's always made sense to me that the sec would end at 16. Like that, that feels right because of the way that you can realign. As you mentioned, the sec has talked so much about what do you decide to do with the divisions? Do you go with a different type of schedule? Do you go with pod scheduling, which I know is something that you've been in favor of in the past? Well, it's super easy to do if you end up with four pods with four teams in each pod. Like mm -hmm. Mizzou would face their pod, the three other teams. They would face the other pod from their division, those four teams. And then you'd probably have to go to a nine team or nine game schedule in conference and then you would face one team from so let's say that they mizzou ends up in the sec west they would then face one team from both pods per year on the other division so then every four years you would be seeing a new team from that particular pod if that makes sense so you'd see your division every team every year and then from the other division you'd you'd see two teams one from each pod and that would flip every year until you get to the four-year cycle and then you you make it work that way it's pretty great for scheduling 16 teams makes a whole heck of a lot of sense you could do a little bit of a divisional playoff and then you go into a conference playoff and then that's the way you get into the quote-unquote college football playoff like logistically this makes a lot more sense for the ncaa it was always just a matter of how do we get here and for texas and ou to be the two teams that end up in the sec i know there's probably a lot of mizzou fans that are listening to this right now and saying to themselves hell no uh-uh we want no part of that i don't want to see texas again i am not interested in having them in our conference we saw how that went it went poorly here's why i actually think it would be okay in the sec 
because Texas and the SEC wouldn't even be the one that's pulling its biggest weight. Like Texas is still a big time program, don't get me wrong, but they wouldn't be the big man on campus the way that they were in the Big 12. The SEC is operated a little differently. So I think some of the things that UT got away with in the Big 12, that is not going to fly in the SEC with Alabama and Auburn and some of the old guard that exists in this conference. So I actually think it might end up going better than people are anticipating. I mean, that's why I don't think it's real. (laughs) I mean, Texas self-absorption, it's selfishness, tanked the Southwest Conference tank the big 12 conference and now you're holding out your hand and you want to join the sec i know i know the sec is different but can texas be can they be comfortable being just another school no but i think they can be comfortable being the best in their division the biggest in their division well, that division also has Texas A&M, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, obviously things cycle in and out based off of coaches and players, but... where else, I guess here's the thing. I think Texas is having a little bit of a reality checkpoint right now because the Longhorn Network failed. It's a disaster. It did not work for them the way that they hoped that it would. It's not going to mm-hmm. be something that in the future they're going to be able to rely on. The SEC Network, meanwhile, has been a smashing success. And so if you're Texas and you're looking around right now and you're saying, okay, what are our realistic options? You're not going to the Big Ten because geographically it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Your options are basically the SEC or the Pac-12. Out of those two, Nate, which one do you think is a better (laughs) option for Texas? If you're you're making this purely on the the field product, you go to the SEC 10 times out of 10. What if you're making it out of money, which is what all of these decisions are driven by? If you're making it out of money, you tag the Longhorn Network and its distribution channels to the subscription-only Pac-12 network, revamp that, have all of the control you could possibly want because you are the saving grace of the Pac-12, you are the golden child of their new commissioner who just made the biggest coup in in college football history by nabbing Texas into the Pac-12, I guess pack 14 at that point uh, and bringing football competency to a, to a conference that used to have it and has been struggling the past couple of years. What if instead of that, I tell you the Longhorn network's failing and it's not going to be around five years, 10 years from now, no matter what. I mean, the, the network is not good, right? It's, it's corn cob TV. No one likes it. There's nothing good on it except for coffin flops. Um, the Pac-12 network has quality programming. They just don't have the ability to get it into households. You marry the product of Pac-12 to the distribution of ESPN. Doesn't that make a lot of sense? I just don't know that it's go- I, I, like what I'm saying is I'm their contract runs through 2031. So that's 10 years. From oh, now. I thought it was 20. Oh, shit. Oh, I thought it was earlier than that. Wow. OK. I'm not positive it's going to exist beyond that. And I'm not even sure entirely that it will exist through that. Like it's $15 million roughly per year from from the site that I'm looking at right now that they get from this network. ESPN might just say, bleep it. We're buying this thing out. We're done with it. We don't want to do it anymore. It doesn't make sense for us because of how many subscribers they're losing. They're losing money on this deal down the road, right? Right. And if they determine that and the Longhorn Network is gone... 2026 ish so five years from now so they buy out the 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 back end of that deal Mm -hmm. 
Well, now Texas doesn't have the one thing that it really wanted in the Big 12. You're going to the Pac-12, which has a terrible network. And the money in the SEC is just so significantly better for Mm. all of its institutions, much less a place like Texas. I just think it makes more sense, man. Uh, Geographically, logistically, monetarily, everything that you want to look at for why Texas, Oklahoma, why they would want to go somewhere, it makes a lot of sense. The question that I would have, though, I read this, I think it was Dennis Dodd who mentioned it earlier. Am I wrong in that there is a state law that Oklahoma State has to follow Oklahoma wherever it goes? Yes, there is. So that seems like it would be a pretty significant logistical hurdle that they would have Mm -hmm. to clear um, in order to break up those two universities. Well, Oklahoma State put out a statement saying that, you know, they're disappointed in what they found out today from the rumors of Oklahoma and that they're going to fight to keep the integrity of the Big 12 and, the you know, blah, 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 blah. Kind of boilerplate. We're pissed, right? Um, I, I don't know how you rewrite a state constitution with equal parts Oklahoma State and OU grads in the house and find a way to make that happen so that one school goes to the SEC and the other doesn't. And and I'm still not completely convinced, just because Texas is Texas, I'm still not completely convinced that this isn't just some tactic to negotiate control inside the Big 12 <laughs> uh, for Texas and possibly Oklahoma. Can I tell you why I don't think it is? Yes, I'd love to hear it. Where did this come from? Houston Chronicle. Why? Why did this come from? Because <laughs> I asked. Why did this come from the Houston Chronicle and somebody that covers Texas A and M and not somebody that covers Texas or Oklahoma? Uh, oh, I thought it was a Texas person who mentioned it. No, I don't know. Then I think that this came from Texas A and M. I think they are pissed. They don't want to see Texas in the SEC. They are no. the ones filing the greatest public grievances against this. They're probably, frankly, the only team from from what I understand and everything that I've read. I don't think Mizzou is going to be against this. I think Mizzou, if asked to vote, would vote in favor of Texas and Oklahoma being added to the SEC. Uh, I forget who it was, but somebody said just a straw poll said that both Missouri and Texas A&M were against it. So they would need two more schools to sign off and say no officially, even though the SEC unofficially would be in favor of it. So, well, it, regardless, the SEC likes to have uh, unanimous votes mm-hmm. on things. So there's going to have to be some paychecks moved around to get this to happen, I think. So it, I'm reading something right now. This this just posted uh, Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports mm-hmm. just posted something on Yahoo Sports right now. Uh, and he says, while Texas A&M is aggressively against the move, no surprise, it may be the only team in the league that feels strongly in that way. So maybe Mizzou's uh, against it, but they're like, you know what, whatever. Like, if this is our best opportunity, maybe we're fine with it. Maybe that's how they view it. Like, if they had their personal preference, Oklahoma and Texas wouldn't be in the league. But if this is what the league wants to do, maybe Mizzou's like, yeah, whatever, we're fine. We got a seat at the table, we're good. So I don't I don't know how much this is true. And, and listeners, you're just going to have to bear with us. Obviously, this is breaking news. We're just kind of pulling at scraps as we see it. Um, but the 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 unofficial parameters of this is that Texas scraps the Longhorn Network. Mm-hmm. 
The Big 12's TV deal ends in 2025, so does the current college football playoff contract and the SEC schedule rotation, so that all kind of serendipitously lines up. And then the entry of OU and UT, I, oh God, I can't believe this, would lead to at least $10 million more a year in revenue. Doesn't that seem low to you? I feel like that's one of those things where 10 years from now, you would add on even more revenue, but maybe up front... It would be that way just because you're adding in to more institutions that have to split that pie with you. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like Mizzou, right? When they became a junior institution or whatever, you, you get a smaller cut, but you are another university that's a part of this. So that what was tip what was previously split between 12 teams is now split before between 14. So maybe it's like in the total sum. 200 million dollars more or whatever but each university it's it's obviously significantly less yeah so bk you are you are in favor of like ignoring all of the possible hurdles that are thrown up here you are in favor of texas oklahoma joining the sec so it's interesting um i i would be very interested to find out what the alternatives are if not texas and ou who else would the SEC be willing or interested in going to acquire, basically, for lack of a better term? <laughs> can I can I offer one up? Please. Let's say Oklahoma can't do it because of the Oklahoma State handholding. You just brought in Texas. Why not Clemson? Do you think the ACC? I I think the ACC feels like it's in good footing. That's that's the reason why I would. I agree. ACC network is fine. Clemson is the the biggest fish in a tiny pond. Right. Uh, they're in a really good position right now. A lot of money. You know, what what difference does that make to them? But the SEC wanting to be the most competitive football conference in the country just nabbed one of the greatest programs in college football history. Why not also take the one of the best programs in the modern football era, you know, and just say, all right, two orange teams. Let's do this. Bring it in. <laughs> It makes a lot of sense. Again, it it would have to be... That would be a big move by Clemson. Yeah. And if I'm Clemson, I don't know that I'm making that move, to be honest with you, man. It'd be a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah, I I think they're in a really good spot being in the ACC competitively. And as much as the guaranteed money might be better in the SEC, probably would be better in the SEC... The potential for what they're able to get out of the exposure by consistently making a college football playoff, I don't know what that dollar figure is, but I would have yeah. to imagine it's astronomically higher than what they would get by just being in the SEC. Mm-hmm. And it'd be harder yeah. to do that in the SEC. I feel like the ACC is one of the staple conferences that's going to just keep absorbing teams, much like the SEC, much like the Pac-12, much like the Big Ten. Clemson is kind of a pie in the sky thought that I had. Sure. Uh, I don't, I mean, you could also, hey, why not Florida State, right? Like Florida State's scuffling right now. They're in Florida. Um, you know, you already have UF in there right now. What's, you know, what's adding Tallahassee, which is basically Alabama South. Um, you know, you, you have some options, but if you UCF if we are true, might be interesting as well. If you want to, if you want if you wanted to go the, the Florida thing. route, here's the thing. I don't know. If the SEC is even going to uh, even, even going to screw with the G five, I really don't. Because I, I thought, oh, what if Memphis? What if UCF? Like you said, what if USF? 
I don't think, I mean, if they're looking at G5 candidates, I feel like they're just going to say, eh, no, nah, thanks, I'm good. Because why would you, uh, I, this is going to sound very hoity-toity snorty of me, but like, why would you mess with bringing in a program like Memphis or a UCF? You're the SEC. You're, you're talking to Oklahoma and Texas. You turn around and you bring in UCF. Doesn't that feel like a just a grab to do it? Which is exactly why I think you, OU and Texas make all the sense. Like, yeah. I, I think that the conference that's going to get picked apart, and we've known this for years now, it's just a matter of when, not if, is the Big 12. I think you're going to see KU in the Big 10. Um, I think you're yeah. going to see some of those. Yeah, KU and K-State going to the Big 10 makes a ton of sense. K-State, though, I, I'm very curious to see what happens with them, man. K-State and Iowa State, I would not want to be those programs right now. Um, OU, Texas makes a ton of sense for the SEC. We'll see what happens with West Virginia. Maybe they end up in the ACC. Texas um, Tech? What happens to them? That's tough Baylor? One, Do they go indie? Like, rely on the Baptist money cannon to keep you afloat? Like, I don't know what you do. Yeah, it... It's a tough spot for a lot of these programs, but when you go up and down the list, like if you, if I told you, Nate, you could add two teams from the Big 12 because that's the one that's going to have the movement. I mean, the mm-hmm. top two teams that you would select are Oklahoma and Texas. So if the SEC is sitting back and they're saying to themselves, okay, we've got our pick of the litter of this conference because this is the one that's going to be disbanded. Well, we want OU and Texas. And OU and Texas want to come to the SEC. And they're going to do whatever it takes to get there. And they're going to make you all of the promises. And maybe they don't end up keeping those promises. We kind of know how that goes. Um, (laughs) But it's going to add more eyeballs. It's two of the biggest programs in the country. You will, I mean, nobody would at that point, especially with OU coming to, to the conference. Nobody could even make an argument against the SEC being the best football conference in the country. Oh, God, no. you, you, you can at least listen to those right now. I, I would disagree with it, but you could listen to the argument. There is no argument against the SEC if OU and Texas are at it. So I'm, I'm kind of in the camp with you because I'm like, I need to know more before I decide it's a good thing or a bad thing. As a college football fan and as a alternative history kind of fan and like just expansion fan, uh, let's let's just call it what it is. I love this idea. I think it's hilarious uh, and, and just brings a lot of fun. You bring in one of the most historically successful programs of all time. You bring in a, a behemoth of a program from the past 25 years in Oklahoma. And you add that to the already sterling roster of, of uh, Southeastern teams like that. That's incredible. Absolutely incredible. I would love to see it as a Missouri fan. And we've talked a little bit about, Missouri's woes when we talked about division realignment. But even that outside of that, and Levi, get ready to bleep me because I'm going to say something naughty. As a Missouri fan, Texas, off. Go somewhere else. You're Texas. Your best years are better, or your worst years are better than our best years. You are the one that tanked the Big 12. You tanked it. And now you're hitting like, oh, what if I join the SEC? Oh, would you take me? I'm like, oh, give me a freaking break. I get Oklahoma wanting to leave. Honestly, if it's Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, bring them on. That's fine. But Texas, you you are the you are the anti-Midas. Everything you touch turns to crap. Okay? You tank conferences. That's what you do. And I don't want that tainting the SEC. And I think the SEC is strong. 
I think it could withhold whatever shenanigans Texas wants to do. But I hate it as a Missouri fan because it adds two really good programs into the SEC. And as a Missouri fan, we're already fighting four, four or five of the best teams in the country. You add another two onto that, God, that's just going to be terrible as far as win-loss records going forward. That being said, does it make it easier to recruit the state of Texas? Like, I know sometimes this stuff gets overstated, right? You go to the SEC that's and Mizzou fans. such worn recruiting to everybody recruits Texas. It's already hard. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm with you. What, what The reason why I, I even bring it up is because when Mizzou moved to the SEC, a lot of fans, and frankly, Gary Pinkle, was like... Hey, let's go f- recruit Florida. Let's recruit Tennessee. Yeah. Let's recruit Georgia. I'm sure this is going to be great. And then they were yeah. like, oh, this is not good. We shouldn't do this. <laughs> and Mizzou's already recruiting the state of Texas. So it's totally different than what it was whenever they first moved to the SEC in those early seasons. I do wonder if you can tell a kid, hey, you know, you're, you're going to be coming to play in your home state every other year. Um that's something that you could sell to them. Is it a significant sure. pitch? No, it, it it might be a tiebreaker that, that helps you in your favor. But kids are typically committing for other reasons. I just wonder if maybe that's a little something you could add into the pitch. Uh, yeah, I mean, Alabama recruits Texas heavily. LSU recruits Texas heavily. Florida recruits Texas. Georgia recruits Texas. Like Mizzou has continued to do so in the SEC. Mizzou continues you're, you're to right. do so. Arkansas does like, I mean, yes, but it, it doesn't seem to be much of a tiebreaker at this point. It, it doesn't really add, it doesn't add significant media markets. If that's still a thing, I don't really think, I don't think so expansion either, is being driven by TV anymore, especially with the current, you know, the current setup of, of media. I don't think that's a driving factor, but adding Texas doesn't bring new TV television sets. It does just expand your footprint. You might as well just be called the Southern Conference at this point. You know, if we're if we've got, you know, as north as Missouri, uh, as as west as Texas and, and as east as Florida, um, you know, you it's 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 a branding opportunity and expansion. It's just it's basically bringing in the best current teams is what they're doing. Yeah, bring and, in and, badass programs. Like that, yes. that's basically what the SEC is doing. They looked yes. at Texas A&M and they said Texas A&M is a massive university that has a long history of being pretty damn good at football. Yeah, let's go ahead and add them. Uh, Mizzou, we can get a little bit. For, I actually do think Mizzou was a little bit about footprint. Um, that, yeah. that made some sense to be able to move further north and to the west. Um, but Texas, it would all be about like. It's a badass program, you know, in their history, they they have been one of the best programs in the country. It's a blue blood football program. Same thing for Oklahoma and Oklahoma mm-hmm. recently. Like imagine the ratings that the SEC would get on CBS when <laughs> Alabama plays Oklahoma at 230. Mm-hmm. Like just imagine that. Now imagine every four years or whatever when they play Texas and they're required to do so in a conference slate in mid-November. Like, it's just mm-hmm. the possibilities of that are pretty remarkable. And that is what I think a pro or a, a conference like the SEC is going to be looking for. It's that marquee Absolutely. matchup potential. Mm-hmm. And, you know, back in the 90s, the SEC was the first conference to introduce divisions at the uh, current, at the time, the one the a level, but currently the FBS level, they were the first to do divisions. They're the first to have a conference championship game. 
it would be fitting that the SEC would be the first conference to hit 16 teams. Very well could expand past that. We don't know. But kind of kickstart the trend of, let's just call it, let's just call it pods. Pod scheduling and making it okay for all the other conferences to start vacuuming up major properties in the college football stratosphere, right? Pac-12, do they take Boise State? Do they take Colorado State? The Big Ten, you know, we talked about it. Kansas, Kansas State, Iowa State are sitting right there. It's not that far of a stretch. You kind of have to go around Missouri to get there, but that's okay. Uh, Nebraska's already there, so that's it's pretty close. It, it expands that footprint. Does the ACC take West Virginia? Does West Virginia join the Big Ten? They should probably join the ACC. Um, you know, does the American? Who gets who gets the call up? Does UCF, USF, um, do they jump up into the ACC? Houston, Houston would be one Houston. that I would bet. You know, Houston tried to get into the Big 12 a couple of years ago and were denied because the Big 12 was like, oh, no thanks, but... Yeah, where's Houston gonna go? Is that do they join the SEC, make that seventeen, and Memphis makes it eighteen? I don't know. Cincinnati might be one for the Big Ten too. Potentially, Cincinnati's absolutely locked for the Big Ten. I don't, I don't know what they're gonna look like when Luke Fickle leaves, but that that just makes so much sense. Toledo, Big Ten, um, you know, like it just there's a lot of North Dakota State, Big Ten. Hello, is that something mm. that happens? I don't know. Um, but this is. Whatever the SEC does, whatever the SEC has done in the past, let's call it 35 years, has been the first step in normalizing college football trends. And and so for them to be the ones to hit 16, to vacuum up two blue blood programs, snatch it from the nose of another quote unquote power five conference, that's going to normalize that for everybody else. And that's going to set a domino effect uh, to, who knows where it's going to end, but, uh, I, I don't know. It, th- this, this is, this is going to have so many ramifications. If these hurdles are, 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 are cleared, there's a lot of movement that's going to happen after this. I, I'm fascinated to see what's going to happen. I think this is why I love expansion talk so damn much. <laughs> there's just so many different opportunities for so many different conferences, but it makes all the sense in the world. I, I bet you this was something that was happening behind the scenes and Texas A&M caught wind of it and they were like, oh, no, 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 no. We like being the big man from Texas here in this conference. We're, yeah. We don't want this to happen. And so they put it out publicly. So that way now people are weighing in on this in the public and the SEC is not able to do it just exclusively behind closed doors. And I do think it is super notable, man that nobody is denying this. Nobody. Oh, no. Oklahoma no, no, no. didn't deny it. Texas didn't deny it. The SEC didn't deny it. Nobody that is intimately involved with these negotiations, if they were to be taking place right now, is saying, without question, no, this is not taking place. We are not expanding, and we are certainly not looking at Oklahoma or Texas. And then the same thing is true on the other side of leaving the Big 12 to go to the SEC. It's It's a whole lot of... Uh, yeah, we don't really talk about speculation. <laughs> it's like, uh, okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, you don't comment on rumors now? All right. You All typically right, yeah. find a way when something is factually inaccurate, you find a way to say, yeah, that's blatantly false. So the fact <laughs> that you're not doing that here makes me think it's not all that false. I mean, from what I've seen, the reports were saying that Oklahoma and Texas were putting their heads together and working on this back in January of yeah. 2020. 
and then COVID hit and they scrapped it because, you know, obviously the pandemic. Um, but yeah, this has been going on for a while. And, and it, it makes total sense. The, the Big 12 is a joke. Oklahoma wins the Big 12 every single year. They get detonated by Alabama or Clemson in the first round of the playoff. That's just, that's how it happens. And, and they're not really, you know, they're operating at a financial deficit compared to the SEC and to possibly the ACC with the ACC network. Now they're not going to get a conference network because of Longhorn network. So what they did is they went to their rival and say, Hey, look, you scrap this. We can make 10 million more. Let's make it happen. We get to play in the best conference in football. It's, it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, obviously looking at it now is mostly a pipe dream up until, you know, six hours ago. Um, but it makes a lot of sense for both programs. It makes sense for the SEC to bring in more better programs and yep. and keep building their brand as a, as a football conference. But even so, Texas baseball team is pretty damn good. Their basketball team has been good. Same for Oklahoma. That's a good point on the baseball is, side of things. This is an upgrade in all of the sports. I don't know how they are Academically, too, field. Texas is, is a good academic university as well, which is something that the SEC, although people make fun of it, they do seem to care about. And you get a school the size of Texas, their Olympic sports are pretty damn good too. Uh, so you you are lifting the the you're lifting the the competency of all the sports available. And I know, you know, Auburn and you know Ole Miss don't care too much about Olympic sports, but they are still there. Um, and there there's still you know, coaches that you have to appease, the programs that you have, that you have to put out. Um, so bringing in talent like this can can kind of raise the bar across the board for just SEC athletics in general. Um, it's wild times, man. I, I I I was telling you before the show started. I went into this like, oh, media days are kind of quiet, and and we'll talk about some Mizzou stuff. But what? I don't know. And then bam, mana from heaven. We get expansion talk. So here we are. It's great. Uh, I know Texas is an AAU institution, and that was a big thing when Mizzou joined the SEC. Mm -hmm. They wanted that from Mizzou. Do you know if Oklahoma is? I, I don't think they are. I don't believe they are. Okay. So, I mean, that one out of two is is something that the SEC would really like because Florida, I know, is one of the others in the SEC that that is, um, I would imagine Vanderbilt is. Um, so ha having more of that in uh, the conference is also something that, they definitely would like to have um in a in the seven seconds that i search it looks like a oklahoma's working on becoming certified in that okay. you have to hit certain thresholds for uh, research um and graduate levels but uh they're working on it but yeah i know texas is mizzou is texas is nebraska uh, is not which is why big is so weird the big <laughs> yep. 10 took them yep uh i Florida is for sure. Vandy is, and Texas A&M is as well. I think that's it really? for the SEC right now. Huh. Yep, I remember that was one of the talking points back then. Interesting. Yeah. Well, who knows what's going to happen? I the 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 Twitter machine's been just running rampant in the college football realm, just talking about all aspects of this. I mean, <laughs> again, six hours ago, we we're like, oh, you know, it was kind of funny how. Deion Sanders wants to be called Coach Coach Prime. And then literally three hours later, we're like, well, so if Iowa leaves the Big 18, that means that Coastal Carolina gets to jump up into the new huh. Atlantic Coast. Like, we're already going 18 steps down the path. But again, th college football, for, for such a gap in things happening, 
just thrives in the offseason with the what ifs and the alternative like looks and all sorts of stuff. And the zany season has, you know, there's a lot of consequences to these sorts of things happening, not all of which we fully understand, but just on a surface level, this is the most fun the college football can be when you talk about scenarios like this. Yeah, it's great because the other thing is it, it like throws everything into flux in terms of like traveling. If you're a Mizzou fan that likes to go to away games, it adds another away game to your potential schedule every year. Um, and, and let's be honest, like if Texas and Oklahoma were added to the SEC, they would very likely be in the pod with Mizzou. Mm -hmm. And that'd be kind of cool. Like as much as it would suck in football, don't get me wrong. Um, that, that'd be kind of cool to be able to go up against two old teams that you got to see so often in the past. And I would personally enjoy with Eli Drinkwitz at the helm, being able to kick Texas's ass every year. I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of into that. Just based off of my personal preference and, and limited knowledge of what could happen because you had the big 12 ties and because of the Southwest conference ties, I would predict a pod of Missouri, Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas. Mm, yeah. I mean, you could argue LSU because they're part of Mimal, but I think that would be the, the pod of four. And then you got the the Mississippi schools, LSU, uh, Tennessee, probably. And then you probably go Kentucky. South Carolina. Vandy, South Carolina, something like that. Yeah. Tennessee yeah. maybe in there with them. Maybe yeah. So Tennessee is kind of because they're they're on the Appalachia side, right? Yeah, and the thing about Tennessee is you know that they have to have a game against Alabama every year, so oh, they're going to have to be in the same side, whichever division they've <laughs> yeah, got to be on right. the same side as Alabama. Oh, that means Auburn, Georgia finally get to be in the, Auburn, Georgia, Florida. Oh, that division's going to be stacked. Al <laughs> Alabama. Oh my God, that would ugh. Yeah, Auburn, Georgia, Alabama, and Tennessee would have to be on the same side. Georgia or Florida would as well. Yeah, it'd have to be Florida, Georgia. Yep. Florida, Georgia. Ooh, would you do Tennessee, Alabama then? Um, Poor Tennessee. Good God. Tennessee. Yeah, maybe South Carolina goes on. Or because mm. we Auburn or South Carolina. Maybe you'd go LSU there. Georgia, Florida, LSU, Tennessee. Weird, but you can make it work. And then you go Alabama, Auburn, and then the two Mississippi schools. Okay, yeah. And then for the West, you'd go Texas, OU, Mizzou, Arkansas. Yeah, and then LSU, Kentucky, a and A&M, Vandy, and South Carolina. Oh, geez. I could see it. Something like that. Yeah. Something resembling that. I like our pod a lot. I'll be honest. Oklahoma's no slouch, but those are you're some definitely good games. the you remain in the easier pod. Like you probably yeah. switch divisions there. You would technically be considered the West, quote unquote. Um, but yeah, you, you got an easier division for sure. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Well, we will we will see what happens. Uh, we're going to do our best to keep you up to date on everything that's happening as far as it pertains to the SEC and as far as it pertains to Mizzou. Uh, we'll keep you up to date on all of this. We do have um, some roster movements, some updates on uh, for Mizzou for you. It's not just SEC expansion talk. Uh, we'll we'll start with the downer first and foremost. <clears throat> um, Logan Christofferson, uh, the tight end from Illinois, actually announced his uh, his medical retirement from football uh, a couple of weeks ago, maybe last week. 
Christopherson was a third or fourth year player, uh, but used mostly sparingly. He started to see more time last year, mostly as a blocking tight end, but did catch three passes, including maybe one of the most uh, athletic passes hmm. that uh, Connor Paisleck threw last year. Um, but he, he was not uh, medically fit to continue to play, which sucks. Uh, he announced his retirement effective immediately, so we are down to five tight ends. Uh, BK, it's never great to see a kid have to quit football, especially under these terms, and it's not great to lose a kid like this, but what are your, what are your immediate thoughts on the retirement of Logan? Yeah, um, I would say the first thing is a big athletic tight end that you're seeing of the year last year. That stinks. Like that that that's a real bummer. And he was a guy that when he was recruited to Mizzou, I was super excited about. Um, he he just he kind of mm-hmm. fit what you thought that Mizzou was going to want out of that position. And at the time with Joe John Finley, you were super excited about what he could eventually become. Um, that being said, mm-hmm. they've got a lot of tight ends that I'm pretty excited about, man. Uh, this is a team that does not lack for mm-hmm. talent at the position, upside at the position. And if you're looking for a guy that is not the same size, he is not, he doesn't have the height that you saw from Logan Christopherson, but you know, my boy, Ryan Horsecamp <laughs> just at, <laughs> just got even more of an opportunity once he arrives on campus. And I would never root for injury for being the reason why this is the case, but oh boy. That opportunity just became very, very real for him to get opportunity for him to get some snaps as at a minimum the blocking tight end and two tight end sets. Yeah, obviously mm-hmm. DPJ Daniel Parker he's going to be kind of your main blocking back. But yeah, if if Christofferson's no longer in the picture, that opens a slot, uh, and certainly Horse Camp is is built very similarly to DPJ. I don't know if he's got the same blocking skills. Um, but it's it's certainly an opportunity for him to take advantage of. And, you know, Gavin McKay, uh, he's he's a lighter tight mm-hmm. end. He's more of a receiver uh, than a blocker. But, again, it gives it just another opportunity for him to possibly see the field. Um, you still have Messiah Swinson on the team. Uh, still us looking forward to him capitalizing on the fact that he's 6'8 or whatever he is. <laughs> Nico Hay, who had a few pretty good moments last yeah, year. Yeah, I was gonna say you got tall Messiah Swinson do something, but Nico Hay, he was the he was probably one of the more effective pass catchers on the team yeah. as far as tight ends go last year. He caught no fewer than twenty seven shovel passes in <laughs> twenty targets, fourteen catches, hundred and thirty yards. And out of those twenty, eighteen were shovel passes. <laughs> Okay, I got it. <laughs> uh, what did he have? 9.3 yards per catch, 6.5 per target. Yeah, I mean... It, I joke, but he was legitimately, like... He was effective last year when they got him was. the football. He was. Because I don't think people saw it coming, you know? Um, like, really, this guy? But, um, yeah, so it's just opportunities available. And and with the, with the talented youth that we have, you want to see those opportunities present themselves. You'd prefer if they, you know, earn it, the old fashioned way of just beating out the guy in front of him. But the other end of that is, Hey, we are, down a guy. You have to play. You have to get out there and really just throw him in the fire and see what they can do. So, uh, yeah, it sucks to see Logan go, uh, wish him the best. Hope everything works out. Uh, we turn the page and, and the, the new guard moves in and hopefully they can, they can take advantage of it. Yeah. I'll be interested to see what, what route they decide to go here. Like you said, we know Daniel Parker jr. Is going to be the one. He'll be your number one tight end with with a bullet. The question is, who's two, three, four? 
because you're going to see multiple guys in this offense get opportunities. There's going to be injuries that creep up throughout the course of a season. So even that fourth guy will see a little bit of playing time, I would imagine, at some point. And seeing finding out in camp how that kind of shakes out is going to be one of the more interesting position battles now on the team. Absolutely. And then as a, an addition to our future roster, we did get a commitment uh, back on July 13th. Jalen Marshall, the defensive tackle out of uh, Overland Park, Kansas. Uh, sixth best, best player in the state of Kansas, 43rd best defensive tackle in the country, committed to Mizzou uh, out of St. Thomas Aquinas, 6'5", 275, a 5.63 star. I know I, I had I had the first knee-jerk reaction myself, so I'm sure I'm not alone. You go, oh, a three-star. Oh. Guys, this guy's good. This guy's <laughs> really freaking good. Don't let don't let the rating fool you. It kind of feels like just not enough eyes have been on him. Because BK, you watch his tape. He is he is a havoc monster. What do you think? He's really fun to watch, man. He really is. Uh, One thing that really stood out to me on his film is his school uses a lot of stunts and games up front. And what I mean by that is they'll have the defensive end crash in and then the defensive tackle loop around, which allows for a little bit more of a free rush to the uh, outside. And he's really good at it. And that is something that you're going to see from Steve Steve Wilkes a lot. He's a zone blitzer, so he's going to use those stunts and games up front quite a bit. And Jalen Marshall is already kind of fluent in some of that stuff that he's going to be asked to do. Another thing that really stood out to me was his ability to get his hands on the ball. Like, regardless of the way that he's doing it in the passing game, if he doesn't feel like he has a free lane to the quarterback, he'll kind of mush rush a little bit, step back, and just put his paws up and knock the ball down at the line of scrimmage. If you're an NFL fan, J.J. Watt does this a lot. He's become known for it, and it's kind of his thing. Jalen Marshall, in the first like, two minutes of his highlights, I think every play was him batting the ball down at the line <laughs> of scrimmage. It's wild, yeah. man. It really is. It's unique to see something like that on a high school player's film. So it's it was fun to watch that. And then his, his ability to just, like you said, create havoc in the backfield is really impressive. He's not the fastest guy in the world, but he's just he's creative with the way that he's able to win. And I, I think he's going to be a really good player for Mizzou, especially as he kind of grows into his body as time goes on. Yeah. Like I said, 6'5", 275. Uh, anytime I see a, a big defensive end, and this is just a bias of mine, I'm sure you sometimes share it with me. You always think Coney Ely, <laughs> you yeah. know, like, oh, this guy, this guy can, you know, he's he's fast for the inside. He's strong for the outside. You could probably put him a lot of places. Obviously, we'll leave that to... Jethro I think Franklin. he's going to line up inside. I'll, I'll be pretty surprised if he's oh, not an interior okay. rusher. Yeah, I, I think he's more. Um, I, I think that's where he's going to win is by mm-hmm. being an athlete that lines up inside as a three technique. And they, they kind of yeah. have a need for that. You've got a couple of guys right sure now that are on the way out. So after the 2022 season, you've got Realis George, Makai Wingo, Marquise Gracial, and Jalen Marshall. That's going to be as of now, what you have on the interior, probably going to add some sort of a transfer or something because that's how it works in 2021. Um, but I, I think he's going to be a guy that lines up at three tech and you're going to see him win in, in the interior. I obviously, I think he could, he could find a lot of success that we, we do need help at the defensive tackle position. So that does make a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, we're very excited to have him on board. I uh, can't wait for, you know, 
12, 12 months from now when he can actually suit up and play. Uh, but this is this is a good this is a good thing. Yeah, I mean he. I, I know we do this probably too much, but Overland Park, Kansas is basically Kansas City, yeah. and 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 so Drinkwitz has done such an excellent job of targeting the corners of Missouri: St. Louis, East St. Louis, Kansas City, Overland Park, kind of uh, Eastern Kansas, getting getting those kids who are familiar with the program and from talented, talent-rich areas and coming to Mizzou. Um, this is just another. It's another data point in the bucket for that sort of thing. And and regardless of how he is rated, this is a big get. Um, he was obviously, he was he had a, some awesome offers. Uh, we had to battle a lot of other schools for it, and he picked Mizzou. So this is a win, and it's a uh, way to go, Drink. You're just great at this. You really are. <laughs> He's pretty darn good at this recruiting thing, man. It seems to be going all right for him. I, I will say, and, and, and BK brought this up before we hit record, uh, Marquise Graciel is taking what we think is an official visit to Alabama on July 31st. Now, this this is not his first, you know, visit to another school since committing to Mizzou. He went to Iowa State uh, a month ago, something like that. Said he had a great time, but said he's still committed to to Mizzou. And and so I know when you when you when you have a kid who's committed and he's a really highly sought after recruit. You get a little nervous when they go to a school like in Alabama. But I'm going to say, and, and BK, I think you agree with me. If I'm an elite high school football prospect, you bet your ass I'm taking all five official visits and I'm going to go to the coolest places I can think of. BK, if you were a four or five star high school football player, what programs would you take your official visits to? So we talked a little bit about this before the show. Miami is the number one place that it's like, yes. okay, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and make sure that I hit that one. <laughs> that That's going to be on my list for sure. Um, the other places that I'm going to go to, I, I feel like you've got to go to at least one place from the big 10, just for the, the history of it. Like whether your spot is Ohio state, Penn state, Michigan, or Wisconsin, I think those would be the four. I would choose one of those probably to be able to go. Obviously, I'm going to go check out Mizzou. And then from the SEC, I want to see Alabama because I want to see how they do it. And then for me, I love the Northwest, the Pacific Northwest. I would want to go check out either Washington or Oregon. And if you wanted to throw on either USC or Colorado to your list, I would totally get both of those as well. So that would be my five that I would choose from. I've got a few schools that I would like have to decide on one of the above, but I'd, I'd be wanting to go to all the corners of the country because if I can do that for free, you better believe I'm going to. What would you choose? So obviously, one of my official visits is going to go to Mizzou. I am with you. I have got to go to the U. Got to go to Miami, not just, just to see Miami, but see the school, see the U, see where all of that happens, see how they treat their football players. I would go to Alabama, Alabama or LSU, I can't really decide, but as long as Nick Saban's still there, I've seen that man coach for for decades and seen his teams win. I want to see how the sausage is made to a certain extent, talk to the assistant coaches, see the the Death Star amenities that they have there in Tuscaloosa. Uh, so that's that's three. And then I'm with you. I'd go I'd go West Coast. I'd probably I'd definitely go to USC and one of Oregon or Washington. Man, probably Oregon because they got the Nike money cannon there. Um, so, yeah, I think that's what I would do. And you know what? I would commit to Mizzou. 
like that's i mean you're you're doing this because you're 18 you're not going to have this opportunity probably ever again um and you want to see some of these massive programs that you grew up watching you want to see what it's like i i certainly don't blame graciela at all do you know how cool it would be to be an 18 year old to meet nick saban and to walk around the university of alabama and to be wined and dined with steak and lobster and going to the coolest places on campus and hanging out with the coolest kids on campus again you're 18 years old like this is you're you're gonna be hanging out with future first round nfl draft picks and learning about what makes the program work like yeah that that'd be freaking awesome man and And like that's what you're gonna be nice to you right and that's what you get out of going to (laughs) alabama and then there's a totally different experience when you go to the University of Miami or mm-hmm. Oregon or Colorado or wherever you want to go. And so, like, yeah, these a guy like Marquise Gracial, he's he should go on all of his official visits. I don't fault any of these kids that decide to do that. So if a Mizzou fan sees this and they're like, man, this stinks, he's going to end up committing elsewhere. He maybe he does. Maybe he does end up committing elsewhere. But I I would say for now my concern level is is low and if something were to change then we can readdress this but for now i think this these kids just really want to enjoy the recruiting process because they haven't been able to yet yeah and the the class before them didn't get to do this so it's it's really it's a rare opportunity that you need by the way it's pretty cool that it like if he does end up committing and staying committed to missouri signs Eli Drinkwitz won another recruiting battle against Alabama. <laughs> Hell yeah. Like that That's what that would mean because Alabama just doesn't bring kids on campus for official visits for no reason. It's not right. something they do. It's not. Well, we, we will see. Um, I, I feel pretty confident in his commitment. He seems pretty pretty bought in with, with Drinkwitz and the staff. But uh, uh, I, regardless, yeah, take your official visits, guys. <laughs> you should definitely do that. That's not a bad thing. So... I know uh, earlier this week, last week-ish, uh, there, there's a tweet floating around uh, ranking the SEC quarterbacks in order uh, from from a guy named Michael Bratton. And <laughs> the the reason I bring this up is because our, our dear sweet baby quarterback, Connor Bazelak, was ranked 12th out of 14th, including behind Vanderbilt's Ken Seals, uh, Vanderbilt, who did not win a game last year, uh, and and Texas a and starter who has not started a game in his career, as well as Tennessee's. Um, and so there was a little bit of, of, we'll say, discourse, as much as Twitter can have discourse. Uh, my my question was, why why are guys who haven't played a game ranking ahead of, of Connor Bazelak? And instead of just, you know, tweeting hate uh, at, at Mike Bratton and, and getting in his DMs and calling him stupid, I decided to ask uh, if he'd like to share his opinions on the show. And uh, he took me up on it. Now, I, he uh, he was grateful enough to, to have me on his show a couple months ago. I figured I'd return the favor and give him an opportunity to explain his process and and talk about Mizzou football in, in the SEC East at large. Um, so we're going to listen to what Mike has to say. He's got some interesting stuff, and I hope you enjoy it. We're joined today by uh, Mike Bratton, the news editor over at SEC Football and the host of That SEC Podcast. And as he told me, maybe the most hated man in Columbia, Missouri, uh, Mike Bratton, welcome to the show. We appreciate the time, man. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Nate. And uh, I don't know if I'm walking into a trap here or not, but uh, happy to come on the show anytime. <laughs> so if you haven't, uh, if you're not on Twitter or you're not following the right people, um, Mike is has got his finger on the pulse of SEC football. He's actually at SEC Media Days right now. Um, and he is over the offseason has put out some really interesting uh, rankings of teams as far as transfers, as far as expectations of wins, as far as quarterbacks go. And your SEC quarterback rankings, Mike, when these jumped out, I was a little curious as to your your methodology behind it, but um, you you ended up having Connor Bazelak towards the bottom, I believe number 12. And uh, Mizzou fandom had some words for you uh, to talk about uh, your rankings. I guess my question for you, is when you are making those rankings, what goes into it? Is it previous performance? Is it projected performance? Is it the team around them? What, what's your methodology? Yeah, really. So that's a great point. And I try to uh, display my thoughts there in, in limited capacity on Twitter. You know, you don't, you can't fully express yourself. So I do do a podcast breaking it all down. But, you know, the heart of the matter is I'm trying to project how I think these guys will rank at the end of the upcoming season. So, you know, it's it's difficult to do because we got some guys in there that uh, have never really played significant minutes. And you, I mean, you hit it right on the head, man. Missouri fans, I love the passion. So many of them think I'm just a fool that uh, has never watched Missouri play <laughs> football or they think that uh, Connor Basilak is – you know, the next Joe Burrow or what have you. But man, I just, I, I even tried to, you know, kind of point this out. I, I try to clue people into what I'm thinking all off season. Cause I do a show, you know, two times a week during the off season. I do it five times a week during the season. And Hey, the clues are there, man. When I had you on my show, I was asking you about, uh, you know, the freshman quarterback making, if he's going to come in and start, because I'm just, you know, I'm not this, I'm not a guy that sits here and bashes all these college players. And that's not certainly what I've done with Connor Bazelak, but I'm just like stunned when I see these people that have him as like a top four quarterback in the SEC. And again, it's nothing against the guy, but you know, what have we really seen from him? What I, I think he's got seven touchdowns, six interceptions, something like that. Mm -hmm. We've had Eli Drinkowitz come out and, you know, he's being a, a good coach. He's not throwing his guy under the bus, but he's been public with the fact that, we didn't trust him in the red zone, and he puts that he puts that on himself. He doesn't put that on Connor Basilak, and and maybe that was the right move because he was such a young player. But when you got your coach out there saying things of that nature, I don't know. I don't know if I have full confidence in Connor Basilak. How can I when the coach doesn't seem to? And you know, his biggest performance of the season I thought last year was against LSU, which at the time mm -hmm. we all thought, my God, this is they've really got something here with Missouri, but you know, not to completely take away from what they did because they, they deserve that win. They, they went out there and got it done, but you know, as the season came along, it turned out LSU was just a disaster. I mean, so who cares what you did against LSU uh, South Carolina fired their coach and their top two corners opted out for the season. And then, you know, they barely beat them. Basilak, I know he had a nice touchdown in that game, but he didn't look that outstanding in that game. Uh, Mississippi state was, I thought, one of his worst performances that was at the tail end of the year. Ge Easily, Georgia yeah. was a bad performance. That was at the tail end of the year. And he had a great performance against Arkansas, but 
and their defense kind of came out the gate pretty well, but then they really tailed off. So I'm just not, like I said, his, his completion percentage is impressive, but a lot of that's Dinkin and Duncan. And I Mm -hmm. watched the games and I, I saw a lot of missed throws down the field outside of that LSU game. And, and maybe some in that Arkansas game. But beyond that, I just see a lot of uh, room for improvement for Connor Basilak. And I would also say when I put that list together, when I when I put him at number 12, I was like, my God, I'm not only am I going to get destroyed for this, but I, it just kind of speaks to, you know, there's not a lot of star power at the quarterback position entering this season in the SEC, but I really like the depth of this group. I think there's legitimately 12 good passers as I see it in the SEC right now. So uh, yeah, I understand Missouri fans take that as a huge slight, but in my mind, it's more about uh, there's 12 really good passers in the SEC. I I certainly get kind of your, your methodology on that. I mean, someone's got to rank at the bottom, no matter what, right? Like that, that's just how rankings work. Uh, You mentioned kind of, there's a lot of depth, not a lot of star power. I think everyone agrees that Ole Miss is, uh, Matt Corral is probably the best quarterback, maybe JT Daniels. Uh, but the interesting thing to me was when you were ranking these guys out, you had uh, LSU's Max Johnson, uh, Texas A&M's Haynes Keene, and Tennessee's Harrison Bailey, three guys ranked above Bays like who haven't started a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and really, I, I don't I don't follow LSU closely, but it was my understanding that Max Johnson hadn't quite won the job yet. Are you banking on their upside and the talent around their team for these guys who haven't started yet? Or is it, you know, you've seen something you're like, Oh yeah, this guy, this guy's going to be legit. Yeah. It's a little combination of all those, but uh, Max Johnson in in the limited reps that we did get from him last season. I mean, I think he's really won over the team based on what I've heard down there. And just the fact that LSU is essentially bringing back well, aside from the opt-outs they had last year that those are now in the NFL, they're bringing back everybody from uh, that offensive side. They did just lose the left tackle who transferred to Kentucky, but uh, they were a, something like a 24-point underdog at Florida. Max Johnson won that game. And then uh, a red-hot Ole Miss team that the only game they lost towards the tail end of the season, I believe they won five of their last six. The only loss was to LSU, who started Max Johnson in that game, and he's just really got that it factor. And they're going back to the Joe Brady offense, and it's one thing to just say they're doing it, but they're literally literally bringing back the assistants that were under Joe Brady. They've even brought back a guy that uh, his name's Jorge Munoz that is an analyst that when yeah. Joe Burrow won his Heisman, he credited Munoz for – you know, week in and week out, getting him ready for what the defenses were doing on third down. So, I mean, they are totally bringing back the band back together again. And I understand it's a new system, but is it really when all these coaches and all these players have already played in the system? I I just don't think there's going to be a massive adjustment there. And I had a a guy by the name of uh, Matt Zinich on my show the other day. He d- He does an outstanding job. He used to work for uh, AL.com. Now he works for Shannon Terry's new venture on three sports. But he was telling me that uh, Josh McDaniels nearly took the uh, Indianapolis Colts job. And had he gotten that job, he was going to name Jake Peets his offensive coordinator. And that's that's the new guy down there at LSU. So, uh, I mean, clearly that guy's got a high reputation among some of the, the elite 
minds in in the NFL, if, if you even want to go that aspect. So I just got a lot of confidence in what LSU is going to do on the offensive side of the ball this year. And, and I think Max Johnson is going to be a huge breakout candidate. So if you were to kind of group these quarterbacks into tiers, is, is Matt Corral kind of a tier to himself or is it the top three? Uh, would you break it into three or four? How would you, how would you segment these, this group of this list here? Yeah, I think Matt Corral's in uh, almost a category of his own. I think if he has another big season like he had last year, if he can just eliminate – he had five or six turnovers against LSU. He had, I believe, six interceptions against Arkansas. If he eliminates those types of performances and continues to progress, I think he could be a candidate for uh, the number one overall pick in the upcoming NFL draft. So I think he's that good of a player. Whereas uh, Max Johnson, JT Daniels, you know, I'm certainly not putting them in that category just yet, but I think those guys, uh, a combination, and I, I would even say maybe the next couple of guys, KJ Jefferson, Bryce Young, and Hayes King, uh, a lot of talent with that group, but a lot of it has to do, we all know the quarterback gets so much praise when a team is good and so much criticism when a team's bad, but <laughs> yeah. these teams... Uh, specifically, I'm, I'm thinking Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, and LSU. I think they are just surrounded by so much talent around the quarterbacks that those guys are really set up for success next season. So that would probably be my next group. And then uh, 7 through 10, or excuse me, 7 through 12, I, like I said, I like there's things to like about all these guys. And uh, realistically, you could kind of be putting them in any order, uh, but – it just kind of shaked out the way it did. I, I really like, uh, you know, how can you go? I got Emory Jones, number seven. So a lot of Florida fans take issue with that. But, you know, just judging by Dan Mullen's track record, I mean, you got to believe that, uh, you know, he's he's going to take a big, big strides this year, even though I would argue that uh, we've not really seen him as an effective passer in the SEC. So that ranking may be a little bit based on, and hell, Dan Mullen came out here SEC media days. Every interview he did, he just wanted to sing the praises of Emory Jones. Now, is that him being authentic? Is that him, you know, trying to build up his quarterback because he's he's afraid maybe he doesn't have confidence? I don't know, but uh, I, I do think Florida is going to be a really good team as well. But I think it's going to be more about the ground game down there in Gainesville, uh, and then going down to I got Will Rogers and and Harrison Bailey. I kind of put those guys in the same category where. I think they're great fits for the system that they're going to be in. And we know Mike Leach is just going to throw it all over the yard. And they started to come together at the tail end of last season. That that was a team that, you know, so many things went wrong. And they had about 20 guys leave the program, whether it was opt-outs or injuries or what have you. They could have easily, you know, tanked the season. But they seemed to get stronger as the as the roster got weaker, which is – you know, a credit to that coaching staff. So I think Will Rogers is is poised for a big season. And just Harrison Bailey's ranking, that's more to do a combination of uh, Josh Heupel and just his track record. As Missouri fans know, I mean, you know, we we all know what he did with Drew Locke and what he did down there at UCF. And he's got some record-setting guys there at Oklahoma. So this is a, a, a big belief in what Josh Heupel is going to do at Tennessee on that offensive side of the ball, because while the narrative is Tennessee's got no playmakers left, uh, they really do have some good running backs, some good receivers, and I like their starting offensive line. Now, 
they start losing a couple of those guys, <laughs> it's going to be a disaster on Rocky Top. But, uh, but of course, I can't predict who's going to get injured and who's not. So I kind of have to go into this thinking that, uh, you know, it, it's basically everybody that uh, they have available. I think they'll, they'll put up some big numbers there on Rocky Top. Sure. Now, getting to a list that I think Mizzou fans would appreciate that you put together. Um, earlier this summer, you put together uh, a ranking of impact transfers. Mm-hmm. And you had both uh, Mookie Cooper and Blaze Aldridge as the top 15 impact transfers. Mookie at 11 and Blaze at 12. So when you're looking at their games, their respective games, and what they can do for Mizzou, what, uh, what, what stood out to you as making the biggest impact uh, for both of these guys for, for Mizzou? Yeah, well, obviously we know Nick Bolton's not around anymore in uh, Columbia, so they really need someone to step up and try to their best to fill that void. It's unfair to to ask anyone to be the next Nick Bolton, and I'm not saying that Blaze Aldridge will be that guy, but I mean, just look at what he did at Rice. I mean, we're talking uh, the last time he played in a full season because Rice only played five games last year. Guy had over 100 tackles, 21 and a half tackles for loss. He racked up over 200 tackles the last three seasons. And again, Rice only played five games last year. And we're talking multi-first team, all-conference selection. So I just love that uh, Missouri is not afraid to, you know, you hear when you talk about the transfer portal, you hear, well, Alabama and Georgia, I mean, they're just scooping up all these players from other teams, you know, the best players. Well, Hey, credit to someone like Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri looking down there and saying, well, let's gobble up Rice's best player. You know, so yeah. uh, this is an opportunity for a guy like Blaze Aldridge where, you know, we see it. Guys from Rice, you know, they they do have a shot to go in the NFL, but they have to be an incredible, incredible athlete to go in like the first or second round if you're playing at Rice. Now, if you go to a school like Missouri and you show that you're one of the best players on that team or in the conference, that's how you really improve your stock. So I really love these guys that uh, are not afraid of the challenge of stepping up and playing in the SEC. And just blaze, uh, based on Blaze's track record, uh, you know, it seems to me like he's betting on himself to where he could have stuck it out at Rice. He could have dominated that league once again, but now he's taking a bet on himself. He wants to compete against the best of the best. And there's oper- so that's his slot was kind of a combination of. Uh, the opportunity that th- that is there for Missouri and just his production on the field. And then Mookie Cooper, you know, I don't want to necessarily compare him to Joe Burrow because, you know, there's so many differences between a, a quarterback and a receiver. But I see that as a, you know, a, a similar situation where when you're at a place like Ohio State and there's just so much talent, I mean, they really are the Alabama of the Big Ten. There's mm-hmm. just not enough touches to go around. And I think uh, that's where there's real value for a program like Missouri to take a receiver that maybe was not going to have the touches that he wanted in uh, Columbus, Ohio, to where, you know, I don't, I have no idea where he was on the depth chart, second, third string, whatever. But at Missouri, based on everything we've heard out of the spring, I expect him to start right out the gate from Missouri and just put up some some big numbers there. And that's where I do want to equate it to Joe Burrow because, uh, hey, where there's opportunity at some of these other schools where they're not as loaded on the depth chart, and just because you're a transfer, 
you know, there's a lot of cases of a guy's transferring in and it's because they can't play. But when you're leaving a place like Alabama or Ohio State, you know, I, there's a there's a really good chance that you're transferring just because your position group is absolutely loaded. And we've seen that with uh, they had another guy that left that uh, is now at Alabama that they're saying is going to start. Or I don't know if he's going to start, but he's going to certainly play for Alabama. So, uh, you know, a combination of those factors and just Mookie Cooper's uh, incredible recruiting ranking. And, and to my knowledge, he's done nothing to, uh, you know, dispel the hype. It's just more about Ohio State being absolutely loaded at the receiver position. So I think uh, given the fact that Eli Drinkwitz, you know, how much he loves to do motion and and does all this trickeration even before the the ball is snapped, I think Mookie Cooper fits perfectly what Eli Drinkwitz is wanting to do there in Columbia. Well, we certainly believe that's going to be the case. I can't wait to see uh, how Mookie is used and, and how effective, uh, how much of a game breaker he can possibly be. So we're, we are very excited to see that as well. Uh, when you when you take a step back and you look at the SEC and specifically the SEC East as a division, you're typically looking any given year, Georgia or Florida, it's probably going to win the East, maybe Tennessee if they get their stuff together. South Carolina had a run under Spurrier. But it's 2021. Kirby Smart's out recruiting almost everybody in the world. And is, is it really just Georgia's division and maybe even Georgia's conference to lose? And is Florida even going to come close to knocking them off that perch? Not this year. I think it's all Georgia all the way, like you said. And I even have Georgia as the, the favorite to not only win the East, obviously, but win the entire conference. And a lot of that has to do with, uh, you know, just there's literally not a roster in college football that is better than the Georgia Bulldogs. Now, there may be a handful that are just as good, but I think uh, Georgia's path you know, thankfully for them, they're in the SEC East and just the rest of the division just doesn't match up. So, uh, you know, th- their path to Atlanta is a lot clearer than anybody on that West side. And I know jo- Florida, excuse me, is is very talented as well. But, you know, it goes back to what do they have in Emory Jones? They just lost arguably the best tight end maybe in the history of the SEC and uh, the defense where I think their defense will bounce back. But just because I believe that doesn't make it so because we all saw last year, you know, how dreadful that was. And I think if uh, I don't think there's many head coaches on the hot seat in the SEC, there's been so much turnover here recently. But if you want to say an assistant, that's probably on the hottest seat in the conference. It's probably Todd Grantham up there at Florida. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he has got to get it done immediately. But uh, I, I just think Georgia's got the edge on so many factors over Florida. And uh, it, it kind of all starts with the quarterback, JT Daniels, who, like you noted, I put number three in my quarterback rankings. And, you know, I don't think JT Daniels is going to be, you know, I, I'm seeing some people have him as like a favorite for the Heisman. I don't put him in that caliber, but the reality is Georgia doesn't need him to be that, you know, they had a former walk on starting half the year last year. And of course that didn't work out and that's why they didn't go to Atlanta, but they're far from having a walk on, on the roster now at quarterback because uh, JT Daniels is talking pure talent is, is one of the best in the country, but he's just going to be surrounded by so much talent. They don't need him to throw 40 or 50 touchdowns. They just need him in some of these key games to be able to push the ball down the field and protect it. Uh, when called upon, and I think he's got 
the talent to do that. So, yeah, Georgia far and away number one in the East for me. Florida, pretty close number two. But uh, I, I actually, I really like Kentucky, who I've got number three. And I would even have Kentucky potentially number two this year if I had confidence in who they were going to play at quarterback. And everything I'm hearing about their new offensive coordinator, Liam Cohen, I've talked to uh, people in the NFL circles. I've talked to people that know him from his time uh, up at uh, UMass. And then he was, I can't remember the the name of the school. It's something like Amherst or something he coached some school. I never even heard of, to be honest with you, but up there in the Northeast, they love this guy. So, uh, you know, everybody loves a new coordinator, you know, so I don't put a ton of stock in all those comments till we actually see what it's like. You know, he'll find out real quick if he does not scheme up a way to uh, take advantage of Missouri's defense. Uh, I mean, they're going to be calling for his job a couple weeks into the season if, uh, if if it's the same old, same old at Kentucky. So maybe if I had a little bit more certainty of, of what they're doing on that offensive side of the ball, I'd have more faith in Kentucky. But uh, I think after that top three, it's basically anybody's game in the SEC East because uh, I, I currently have Tennessee number four, but you know, you could talk me into Tennessee being number six. Or really, uh, I, I think uh, you know they're so volatile right now, and it, and it kind of goes back to what I was saying with the depth. They yes, they've had a, a ton of losses. We all know that they do have plenty of talent, but the major issue for Tennessee this year is going to be depth. So it's going to be critical that uh, the key players that they do have. Uh, do not suffer significant injuries this season. So we've got your one, two, three, four, and five. I haven't heard Missouri yet. <laughs> What's your projection <laughs> for for our favorite Tigers here in Columbia? Yeah, so I've got them right there at five, Missouri Tigers. And, you know, it kind of goes back to – I shake my head at these uh, Missouri fans that are so upset that uh, I've got Basilac low – and then they say, well, this idiot's got Missouri number five. Well, I mean, does that go hand in hand? I mean, it would be <laughs> wild if I had Basilak as like the number one quarterback and then I had Missouri number five in the East. That would be totally illogical. But to me, I, it kind of goes hand in hand. And uh, I think we're really discounting the loss. You know, I already mentioned Nick Bolton, everything about him, but Larry Roundtree, too. And yeah. I know Eli Drinkwitz has got a very strong track record of. Uh, producing running backs, and I have no doubt that he'll do the same uh, at Missouri even this season. But it's even more, in my opinion, about uh, you know the what you lose in the locker room and what you lose in leadership. I mean, when Nick Bolton got thrown out of a game last year, I mean he took a headset and started coaching. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. just, I just don't know how Missouri is going to replace those two guys in particular. Uh, I just don't. I don't know if it's possible, you know, and and uh, now we're getting more into the uh, uh, Eli Drinkwitz era with his guys. And I'm not saying they're not cut out for it by any means, but I just think there's going to be that transition. And I think uh, I'm, I'm just not quite buying the Missouri hype. I think the future, certainly you look at the recruiting is very, very bright. So I'm not talking about the future of the program. I'm just talking about this upcoming season. And I think it's huge that they're playing Kentucky week two, maybe if that game was in Columbia last year, you know, they kind of more or less dominated it, but that was Kentucky was completely anemic on the offensive side of the ball. So maybe they catch them again because 
you know, who's to say Kentucky's going to be rolling by week two? So, you know, I could be dead wrong on this, but I did want to ask you one thing. I don't know how much you've studied Central Michigan, but one thing that makes me feel like I'm kind of on the right path here with Missouri is, you know, last time, and, and you never know how much stock you can put into any of this, but the last time I've checked, they're only like a 10-point favorite over Central Michigan in the opener. And unless Central Michigan's got some All-Americans I don't know about, I mean, I have no idea what in the world's up with that line. Do you? <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's it's very uh, hedging your bets against a young Missouri team that's not ready to play. Mm-hmm. And I, I think uh, I saw the line at 11. 10 is okay. <laughs> I, I don't know where it's going to end up by the time we get to to kick off, but you know, you're looking at, at Jim McElwain. He took a one in 11 team and won the division in there in his first year and uh, probably should have won it last year, if not for the the weird scheduling. And, you know, you, you got to hold on to the fact that they have a very young quarterback uh, and are losing uh, some receiving talent, but they have uh, their number ones are, are pretty dang good. So I think it's looking at Mac and knowing that he's, let's say quote unquote familiar with the SEC uh, the fact that he does pretty well with G5 teams and Missouri is fine, but you know, all their high upside talent are babies, little freshmen. So I think it's just a national take of oh, Missouri will probably win, but it's going to be uncomfortably close. Mm-hmm. Uh, and honestly, man, like Missouri wins every game, you know, 24, 21, <laughs> I'm going to have a heart attack, but you know, we'll, we'll deal with it. Right. That's not so bad. Yeah, and I know Missouri's brought in the transfer. That's that's one other thing I wanted to mention. Uh, everybody's fired up about uh, them landing the, what was it, the Tulsa duo. And yeah. those guys were very good last season. Tulsa had, I'm sure Missouri fans by now know, Tulsa had an outstanding defense. They, they were very underrated as far as, uh, you know, on the national radar. But I also caution people that I don't know how often – you know, we always hype up these transfers and I don't know, it usually seems like it's year two where those guys make a, a much larger impact. Now, maybe because they've played together and uh, I believe they're following a position coach up here in, in Missouri. So maybe that smooths that transition. And, uh, you know, when I, I go back to that interview I had with Matt Zinich, I asked him, you know, who are the some of the transfers that you're that you think will will make the biggest impact? He Noted he'd been hearing those uh, those defensive backs that uh, Missouri landed. So I could be dead wrong about that as well. But, uh, you know, behind them, I, I know you got Enos Rakeshaw, but maybe those three, I don't know what else you got behind them at uh, defensive back. And uh, the SEC is just such a pass-happy league. Uh, that, you know, the, the defensive backfield is, is another huge question mark for me with Missouri this year. Yeah. I mean, having Allie Green – uh, and a Caleb Evans kind of bump up and take the one slots, uh, put Enos at either as a nickel or just a rotational piece. Ishmael Burdine gets knocked down. Like those two were asked way more of what they were ready to do last year. Uh, and hopefully, you know, you hope that experience counts. Um, and yeah, you know, Missouri gets Boston college, which can win it with Phil Dracovic. And, and so it's going to be an early test for that secondary. Um, I, I have been getting a, some flack from Missouri fan base as well. I, I have been saying, you know, recruiting wins don't equal on the field wins. And, you know, seven and five this year is, is a good season. Eight wins is, is a steal. Mm-hmm. When you look at this Missouri team and the, and the schedule that they have, what are your expectations for them this year? 
Yeah, I'm kind of right there with you. I mean, six and six to seven and five is kind of what I'm looking at right here. And now that is factoring in, you know, a loss at Kentucky, a loss to Tennessee, which I think most Missouri fans are penciling Tennessee as a as a W, but mm-hmm. I'm not quite there. And then I think the the tail end of the schedule is, you know, pretty brutal with the A and M at Georgia, Florida, and then, uh, you know, I. <laughs> I can't call the the Arkansas game a loss for Missouri because last time I checked, the Tigers never lose to Arkansas. <laughs> but my God, I mean, at some point, Arkansas has got to to end that streak. Maybe it's mm-hmm. not this year, but um, you know, I'll tell you what, I certainly do love the fact that uh, I have a ton of Arkansas listeners and followers online, and I just love the fact that they seem to think that. Uh, Missouri is is not worth their time yet. <laughs> it's clearly just just them yeah. being upset that they can't beat them. You know what? So yeah, uh, I yeah. mean, it's a rivalry that uh, that exists that they don't even want to admit. I mean, that's how in denial they are about it. But uh, uh, that is one of my favorite emerging rivalries in the SECs. But that game is in Fayetteville Razorback Stadium. So mm-hmm. uh, I and you know people think I'm crazy. I think Arkansas is going to be again. Just like I predicted it last year, and I think I was proven accurate as well. I think Arkansas will continue to improve and be one of the surprises in the SEC this year. So uh, I think that's a very, very dangerous game for Missouri. It always is. Uh, Even if we've won five, six in a row, whatever it is, I never feel comfortable going into that game. And that's uh, I think that's one of the beautiful things about rivalry games. You never know what's going to happen, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, now that I'm just, you know, racking my brain for some of the the games i think it was um i'm trying to rack my brain here 2019 i think unfortunately that was the game where Basilak got hurt and and, and chad morris had been fired and Mm -hmm. that was just the most god-awful football (laughs) tell me man you're telling me i had to sit through and watch that whole thing multiple times but missouri still won it so i mean that, that tells you something that uh you know there's there's some kind of curse on arkansas and i I would love it if I'm a Mizzou man. Uh, it has been pretty great. It's nice to beat a rival uh, uh, every single year. So <laughs> now that that is uh, Michael Bratton at Michael W. Bratton. He is the news editor at SEC Football, and he is the host at that SEC podcast. He tweets lots of interesting stats, lots of interesting lists. You can take a look and yell at him if you want, uh, but please be nice because he's good people. Uh, Mike, thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me, the uh, most hated man in Columbia at the moment. And uh, I take offense to nothing that uh, that anybody says. So I welcome the banter. And, uh, you know, when I put out something like this, it's, it's nothing personal. And I don't take any of the comments personal. But, uh, you know, I really do appreciate the fact that Missouri fans have been so passionate because they belong in the SEC. And uh, just just that the passion they have for their Tigers kind of proves it to me. And and I'm I'm happy to uh, you know have a reasonable discussion with just about anybody. You heard it here. Missouri belongs in the SEC. It's official. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it, man. Absolutely. See, it's not so bad. He shares my opinion on Mizzou's record. Uh, and he had great things to say about Mookie Cooper and, and Blaze Aldridge. So, I mean, he likes us. And he said we're SEC. So, Mike Bratton, he's good people. Be nice to him. Yeah, but we talked about this seven and five. I mean, Schmevin and five. Like this is this is an eight and four at worst kind of a year, Nate. You're just a hater, as is he. And <laughs> anything anything below eight and four would be considered a massive disappointment. 
You're right. I forget. I forget <laughs> these things. This is why I have you on the show, man, to remind right. me how dumb I am. Yeah. Uh, so thank you. I do a great job. This is what I'm here for, and I will never fail you on that. You rank second behind my wife. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's going to be our show. We Again, a surprise little nugget of excellent college football talk. Uh, some exploring of the Missouri roster and I'm talking about uh, with an SEC uh, SEC expert about where our team stands. It's a complete show. It was a complete show, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. BK, any final thoughts? That's it, man. I, I bet you next time we talk two weeks from now, I bet you there won't be a resolution on it, but I have a feeling Oklahoma and Texas will be at that point People will view them as being future SEC members. I'm not going to argue against that. That's crazy to think. Texas SEC, OU SEC. This is the world we live in. Players get paid, and now Texas and Oklahoma want to join the SEC. (laughs) What a a world we live in. Uh, But that's the show for today. Uh, As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or you can rate us. We love all types of feedback from you guys. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He's at BK Sports Talk. You can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation. Of course, you can listen to BK on the radio in St. Louis, 101 ESPN, from 10 in the morning to 2 in the afternoon. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U.